You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Adriana Linares. I'm here with the Legal Talk Network doing a special report during the Florida Bar's annual convention. It's a special day because the Florida Bar, for the first time, one of the first bar to ever do this, has partnered with a great technology company, a practice management company called Clio, and Clio has brought us a cloud conference. Uh, the goal of the cloud conference was to educate and inform lawyers about the, the changes, the new things, the exciting things, and the old things that technology is doing to the practice of law. The keynote speaker is a gentleman by the name of Richard Siskind. Hello, Richard. Hello there. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us for a few minutes. My pleasure. Before I launch into asking you about your presentation, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're known for, things that you write, things that you do. Well, I've devoted most of my career to thinking about the way in which technology might change the way that law is practiced and justice is administered. When I was a law student in 1981, uh, the year, in fact, that the PC was launched by IBM, I became curious about technology and had this intuition that it might have fundamental impact on the life of the law. And I went from studying law then to doing a doctorate in law and computers and in a variety of ways since then have devoted my time either to advising lawyers in practice about the impact of future technologies, working with courts and judges about the use of court technologies and writing and reading and speaking about these issues. And you have a couple of very well-known books. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, those? I think the, the best titled one is called uh, The End of Lawyers, question mark. And I always say the question mark is absolutely imperative there yeah. because it, had it not been from the question mark, it would probably have been the end of my career, <laughs> exclamation mark. Right. Um, but in fact, uh, a distilled version of that for students called Tomorrow's Lawyers is perhaps the best known one. That was designed literally for young aspiring lawyers, but actually is quite enjoyed by uh, older practitioners who want to try and get a read into the future in about two hours, which is how long it takes. But I've written nine, I would ignore the first seven, and I've got, a, 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 <laughs> I've got one coming out at the end of the year that's co-authored with my son, which widens our interests beyond law to the professions generally. That's great. I've read all your books. I love all your books. Um, I recommend your books, of course, anytime I can to lawyers. So I hope that our listeners go out I'm and pick them up. I'm delighted to hear this. Yes, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> I'm delighted to hear that too. Tell us a little bit about the presentation that you gave. You went in a little different course than you normally mm. do with your talk. So why don't you tell us a little bit about well, that? Ordinarily, I'm really asked to speak fundamentally about the, the future of the law firm. And today I wanted to really talk about the future of the justice system, the future of the legal profession more generally. And I talk quite a bit about the developments we're seeing in technology. I think often lawyers are not fully conversant with what's happening out there. Yeah. And what I suggest is we're living through a time of greater technological change than humanity has ever seen. And given that the law is so information intensive and document intensive, we should perhaps take notice. And so I talked about vast increases in processing power. I spoke about telepresence, uh, artificial intelligence. You blew uh, their minds, basically. Oh, I'm not sure about that, but I hope and <laughs> hopefully a mixture of unnerving, perhaps inspiring, and uh, engaging them in discussion about how it is that technology is changing the way we engage in our social and business lives. And seeing it's unimaginable, in my view, that the law will remain unaffected. Sure. So after that, then I went on to say, well, how might this impact on the justice system? And I clarify that I and others, of course, are concerned about problems of access to justice. Uh, and I started by saying we should maybe widen our conception of access to justice. It's not just about speedier and less expensive 
dispute resolution in courts, as many people think. But I believe better access to justice should also involve what I call dispute containment. Mm -hmm. That is helping people when they do have disagreements to prevent them escalating. And also what I call dispute avoidance, that frankly most non-lawyers prefer not having a legal problem in the first place. And I call this putting a fence at the top of the cliff rather than an ambulance at the bottom. So that was the background saying it's terribly important, it seemed to me, that we increase access to justice in all these senses. And it seems that that's a regular theme in your writing, which is lawyers don't have to just be there when the problem has manifested itself. They can be a lot like consultants and advisors and help to prevent issues and create methods or systems that, that, that do that instead of what we're used to, which is only call a lawyer once you have a problem. Yes, that's the vision. It's one I've had for many years. I was looking the other day, I wrote an article in the early 90s about this in the Financial Times, and it's one, it's a concept that people have sympathy with but haven't really implemented. And this is the notion that somehow earlier should be, lawyers should be involved earlier in the life cycle of clients' problems. And the difficulty, of course, is that people are usually dispirited when they have to pay lawyers when they do have a problem, trying to say to people, you should pay lawyers before they've got a problem is an even harder sell. (laughs) So somehow we have to find different ways of helping people recognize when they have legal difficulties. And I talked a little bit about this in the discussion because I talked about what I call the paradox of traditional legal service. Um, uh, Traditional legal service is reactive in the sense that most people recognize they've got, or think they've got difficulty, they go to the lawyer and then the lawyer reacts to that. And very often the lawyer's reaction is unhelpful where they say something like, I wish you'd come to me three weeks earlier. Right. Because the paradox in all of this is it seems you need to be a lawyer or at least know a lot about the law to know when or if to take legal guidance. And so we have to find new ways of helping people recognize when they have legal difficulties and helping them avoid them in the first place. So I was talking about things like online triage, about the use of um, uh, alerts that should uh, be sent out to people in particular industries and sectors and businesses and activities which help them recognize in advance that they get legal difficulties. I was talking about the idea of online legal communities where I call them communities of legal experience where people who've had legal problems uh, cluster online and share these problems uh, with others. And so I, I think through technology we'll find effective ways of what I broadly call legal risk management or improving legal risk management. But my big thing today, I suppose, that I wanted to focus on was online courts. And um, I've been involved with a project in England and Wales on online dispute resolution where we've made a recommendation uh, to the government, to the judiciary, that uh, at least for low-value civil claims, we can resolve them differently. And we've recommended a three-tier system, at the bottom of which you have uh, judges online deciding cases on the papers, and if they need to communicate with the parties, doing so by telephone conferencing, maybe in a few years by video conferencing, but we don't want to wait for that. But even before the cases get to these online judges, we talk about online facilitators, uh, and these are individuals who will help cajole uh, the parties or inform the parties or mediate between the parties and negotiate with them, basically often to say this case really doesn't need the attention of judges or overwhelmingly it's likely to be settled in this way and we believe a very large percentage of cases again both by uh, submission on papers and uh, telephone conferencing can be uh, stopped at this stage uh, and not passed along to judges but even before you get to that the top level the third tier or the first tier depending on which way you look at it is far better online guidance on legal issues so if you've got a legal problem we should have flowcharts frequently asked questions decision trees simple jargon-free 
punchy ways of helping people understand their situation in legal terms, their entitlements, their obligations, the options available to them and so forth. And we believe uh, that all of this should be part of a 21st century conception of the courtroom. And I come to you at an interesting week because on Monday, our Lord Chief Justice in a public lecture uh, supported the idea expressly of online dispute resolution. And the next day, the Secretary of State for Justice, our new Secretary of State for Justice, spoke about the inefficiencies of the court system and also the necessity to resolve disputes through the use of greater technology. So we're up and running, I think, and I've never felt wow. more optimistic about taking hold of some really difficult problems in our justice system, namely our system's too costly, it's too time-consuming, and it's unintelligible for the average layperson. You know, um, one of the things that I hear a lot in my comings and goings with attorneys is they fear that technology is going to you know, replace them. But hearing conversations like this and ideas and theories, it really makes it sound like there's a lot of opportunity there. You're going to need bodies and content builders and information to put that sort of system together. Am I totally off, off the no, mark I, here? In the long run, by which I mean decades rather than months, and I really do mean decades, I think overwhelmingly uh, what many professionals do will actually be replaced by technology. I think people are right to have that fear in the very long term. But we've got a lot of years to go before yeah. then, and in the meantime, you're right. And I think this is creating opportunities. I often say that uh, lawyers look at this in different ways. Older lawyers think, I hope I can hold out to retirement before all of this stuff happens. Right. <laughs> Younger lawyers are often very conservative. They think, well, you know, I trained to be a lawyer in the traditional way, and I'll, I'll be damned if I'm not going to continue working in that way. But we really do need a new generation of leaders who see here as an opportunity in commercial work of serving clients in new and improved ways and in terms of more everyday law uh, of saying this is how we can increase access to justice. I I'm an upbeat, optimistic kind of chap in all of this, but I genuinely do think that the opportunities exceed the threats. If, however, you're a lawyer who decides they're unwilling to change, then I think the consequences will be quite severe. No, and I, and I definitely agree with you. What do you think it is, in, with your comings and goings with as many lawyers as you meet, that what, did, what do you think it is about them that makes it so hard for them to want to change? I'm not sure from the work I've been doing uh, on my new book with my son and the future of professions, the lawyers are radically more conservative than other professions. I think they are a little bit more. Uh, I think there's a, the standard difficulties that uh, in law we do seem to attract conservative people. I don't know if it's the law that makes them conservative or they're attracted to the law because they are conservative. But in what, Or as some people try to say in a more philosophical way, it's because we're rooted in precedent. But the reality is that uh, a lot of lawyers engage what I call irrational rejectionism. Irrational rejectionism? Yes. I love that. Which I'm going to get that as a, as a bumper sticker you for my You can use car. it with attribution. They, <laughs> which I define as the dogmatic dismissal of a technology with which they have no personal experience. And the irrationality there is very often I hear lawyers saying, well, that's not for me, uh, that wouldn't suit my line of work, uh, not even taking the time to right. have a look at it in action. So some of it's irrational, and some of it, if you're a very major law firm, uh, I often say to uh, law firm partners when I'm speaking to them, if they're a successful firm, it's hard to convince a room full of millionaires that they've got their business model wrong. The reality is, if you're doing very well, why on earth would you want to change the model that has delivered so well for you? But in between, we have many lawyers who are manifestly struggling. Uh, their income isn't what, what it once was. Uh, they, they worry that they don't have the economies of scale and small practices uh, to systematize or to introduce modern working methods. And for them, uh, the difficulty also is that it's hard to change the wheel in a moving car, yeah. that it, you've got to continue practicing and yet at the same time, we're asking them fundamentally to change. Now, my answer on all of this, and it might seem a little bit of a pat answer, and it might 
sound like the answer of a consultant, but I do think that lawyers do need to think strategically. They do need to. Uh, they have to have their own business strategies. Right. They have to think through what markets are, are we going to be in and how are we going to compete in our chosen markets. These are fundamental questions, and they have to articulate these, I think, in writing and sketch out a plan for the next five years. Uh, indicate where they want to be and how they're going to get there. Now, historically, many law firms thought, well, our strategy is simply to be uh, a little more successful than last year, right. i.e. bring in a little bit more fee income and reduce our expenditure a bit, and that should do the job. That's not really a strategy. It, it's a, a, an interesting tactical step. But at a time of great flux, one needs to go beyond saying what we want to do in the future is an extension of the past because what I'm suggesting and was suggesting today we're in a period of discontinuity and one has to plan one's way through the discontinuity simply responding in a knee-jerk way to the problems that arise will actually prove to be difficult well I think all of the things you have to say are just so new and different sometimes that it's hard you know it's hard for them to really grasp these ideas but they're so logical and I think a lot of that um, can be found in your books so we already mentioned uh, the end of lawyers question mark tomorrow's lawyers yep and then your new book which you said it's a little broader yeah. than oh, it's law, much broader yeah but it's applicable yeah. and I think because you told me earlier that your son is an economist probably yeah. a lot of these ideas that you just mentioned of having a strategy yeah. and thinking a little bit differently are those types of ideas in that book uh, some of them are but actually a lot of the economic ideas go through to things like technological unemployment uh, the Keynes idea of the 30s that are really looking at the extent to which and how technologies can threaten people's employment we also have developed various uh, new models for the uh, for the delivery of professional expertise in the future um, but Once it is wider because it's uh, we look at health we look at accountancy audit tax we look at journalism divinity we look at architecture Great. Uh, as well as law um, it comes out in October and does it have a name yet yeah it's called the future of the professions okay and where can we buy it get it download it either on Oxford University Press's website okay. oup.com or as ever the very faithful Amazon. And of course, and you have a website of your own yes. that has uh, more information about the things that you know you, you like to talk about and, re and write about and Indeed, author. Yes. Tell us. www.suskind.com. And Twitter maybe? I'm on Twitter as well, uh, at Richard Suskind. So before I let you go, just a couple of last minute thoughts from you about, you know, if you could say, if you could take something out of your head, put it into every lawyer's head out there that would really make a difference, where we could actually turn this giant ship, what would that be? I think actually it's the, the two messages I concluded on today, and they might sound rather vague, but I think the spirit's great. Uh, the first is Jack Welsh's uh, observation, which I recently heard when he says, uh, change before you have to. And I think that's really such a strong message for us because yeah. I think lawyers are inclined to say, well, I can see what Richard's saying. We are, of course, in a time of flux, but it's not quite affected us yet, so we'll just uh, hang firm and wait until we, we really need to jump. We'll jump then. And uh, I think Jack Wells is absolutely right that actually to be a successful business person and to keep your business alive in this time of flux, you really need to change earlier than uh, when the platform begins to burn, even before it smolders. Uh, and so that's the first message. The second is a quotation I, that I finished my talk on, which is uh, by Alan Kay, Silicon Valley guy, who says, the best way to predict the future is to invent it. And so it's to stop asking people like me, what does the future look like? Because I'm, I'm not a futurist. I, I have no better vision of how it's all going to end up than anyone else. Uh, the future is very much within our own hands. So I say to the Florida bar, I say to practicing lawyers, I say to everyone is concerned with the legal profession, that it's about shaping your own future rather than waiting for others to tell you how it's going to unpack. 
Well, that's a great way to end this interview, and I'm sorry that it has to end. They never give me enough time. I cannot thank you enough for coming here, for talking to us, for, for just spreading your great ideas and, and really helping the whole profession understand a lot of these difficult and new ideas differently. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.